0: Welcome to the Lean Solutions Podcast, where we discuss business solutions to help listeners develop and implement action plans for true lean process improvement. I am your host, Patrick Adams. The most dangerous phrase in our language is we've always done it this way.
1: There are an awful lot of posers out there, people that do
0: lean because they're mandated to do it, They think it will work.
1: How stable are you today? What are your goals? Are you generating small, simple improvements? There are very few people that embrace lean with their full heart, head, and emotion. Let's imagine that your current output is top notch. Is that enough to stop innovating and stop reaching for more? Patrick's book uncovers the essence of what those organizations look like and what the posers look like. Caution, are you in the fake zone or the real zone?
0: My guest today is Siobhan McHale, and she is the Executive General Manager of People, Culture, and Change at Dulux Group in Melbourne, Australia. She's also the author of The Insider's Guide to Cultural Change, Creating a Workplace that Delivers, Grows, and Adapts. Welcome to the show, Siobhan.
1: Thank you for having me on the show, Patrick.
0: Absolutely. So I I just covered probably a very small piece of your background. I'm interested to hear a little bit more about uh, just your background, uh, you know, where, where you came from, uh, where where your, your CI background comes from?
1: Sure. Um, I grew up in Ireland, as you might guess from my accent, but I moved to England, and then in the 1994, I moved to Australia, where I currently live. And my career has been in two halves, Patrick. So the first half of my career was as a management consultant, okay, flying across four continents, helping leaders to create more constructive and productive workplaces. And then sort of hit hit a U-turn in my career and wanted more. So I wanted to actually roll up my sleeves and make change happen and help companies to transform. So the second half of my career has been as an insider And I've been the executive in charge of change and transformation in a series of international companies. And that lens has has been very different, very different to an external perspective. Both are, are really necessary, but I've really written the Insider's Guide to Culture Change from that insider perspective. So you can have theories on change and models of change, but what happens when you're actually inside rolling up your sleeves trying to make change happen every day?
0: Mm, i love that so that that, that's actually leads me into my first question about you being an insider right because you talk about yourself as an insider in in the new book uh the insider's guide to culture change so why an insider why is it so important to have that insider's view into culture
1: yeah i think you can have both perspectives so as a consultant you are you're really valuable because you have an outsider perspective you're not where really, well, you're not caught by the often hidden patterns that run our organizations but as an insider your role is to make the change happen so especially in these disruptive times it's not enough just to be in role of running your business you have to also step into your change leader role to transform and continually um innovate and reinvent our businesses often so that's why the insider role is really critical because Nobody can do that work for you. You've got to step into your change leader role. At, at every single level, we're in change leader roles.
0: Absolutely. And, and really, true change is only going to be sustainable when it is uh, adopted and team, the insider team buys into it, right? So it, it would make sense that you, know, you have to step into that insider role and really uh, look at change from, from that insider's perspective.
1: Yeah, I talk a lot about role and uh, the importance of uh, seeing and understanding what role you're stepping into. And I see many managers think that they're in role of delivery leader or operations leader. And of course, that's a really critical role, but often we're in multiple roles. Even in our personal lives, we might be in role of um, parent, we might be in role of spouse, partner. We could be in role of friend, we could be in role of boss, or peer, or subordinate. Uh, even in the same meeting, we can be in multiple roles. Um, the role of listener, the role of questioner, the role of negotiator. And this mental map of our role is a bit like a, a GPS in a car. Mm. It helps you navigate your way in the world. It tells you and instructs you about what behaviors are appropriate not appropriate to act in the same way as parent as it is to act, act in the role of uh, spouse or partner, for example. So, sure. Uh, sometimes, though, these mental maps or our GPS of our role can be outdated, and they're actually taking our teams in the wrong direction, and we need to update and download the information about the mental map that we want our people to, to be navigated by.
0: Absolutely. In the CI world, continuous improvement world and uh, process improvement, there's many people that are listening that live in that world. Uh, we talk a lot about you know sustainable change and how it really only comes through uh, cultural change and, and having the right culture that's going to support uh, a true continuous improvement organization. And so I, I just like to hear from your perspective, what exactly is workplace culture? What is, what is your definition of workplace culture?
1: Yeah, my definition is how the organization or the workplace functions and culture generally sits at the collective level. Mm-hmm. So it's in the patterns or hidden agreements between the parts that essentially govern how the workplace runs. So you can walk into a workplace culture and very soon be captured by that culture. Mm-hmm. And an example I have is um, a transformation that we led, I was head of transformation for a number of years at a bank in Australia called the AMZ Bank. And when I walked into the bank, I noticed that the head office was palatial. It had very, uh, you know, beautiful marble pillars stretching up into gothic ceilings in the foyer. There were plush carpets on the on the floors. The, the offices were... Um, They were very spacious and light-filled with sweeping views of of the ocean. And uh, a visit to the branches later on showed a very different story with paint peeling from the walls, with long queues of customers standing, not getting answers to their uh, their questions. But the big pattern running the organisation was that there was this pattern of blame between head office and the branches, each pointing the finger, finger at each other, for very poor customer satisfaction scores. Mm. So, seeing that pattern of blame in the culture, this culture of blame, was critical to continuous improvement. If you missed that pattern, uh, you really wouldn't have put in the right intervention to solve for that problem and basically uh, get the turnaround that we did.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. I love this, love that, that story and just hearing that the uh, differences between maybe what an outsider might see versus what the insiders see and how that those patterns uh, are definitely a, a piece of that. So in, when it, when it comes to patterns too, would you, would you consider the behavior of say the people or behavior of leaders to be also part of that?
1: Yes, absolutely. The, the, the behaviour of the leaders, because of their role in the system or in the workplace, has a critical influence. Uh, they have um, the power of role and that has an inordinate influence on people's behaviour. But really when you're looking at organisations, you need to be looking at what is the role that the parts are taking up. So, for example, in the ANZ Bank example, you looked at role of head office and you said, well, what role are they in? They're in role of head office, you know, they're providing tech, you know, advice in terms of HR, in terms of strategy, in terms of risk, in terms of IT, mm-hmm. but actually they were taking up a systemic role, which was really about um, being the order taker mm-hmm. in the organization. So they took up the role of order taker and made the decisions and gave the, the, the orders to the branches there were 700 branches across the region and they were in role of order no they were in role of order taker and the head office was in role of order giver okay so one was giving the order to the other so head office order giver and branches order taker and then this pattern between them was that head office gives the orders around here mm. and that pattern was really running the organization and if you didn't see that pattern you could intervene in a way that wasn't as powerful as it needed to be.
0: Mm, That makes sense. And Siobhan, since you're talking about roles, you also talk about role reframing in your book. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. If you could tell us just a little bit more about the power of role reframing, you know, and how that can bring about faster change within an organization.
1: Yeah, so in the ANZ example, and just making it practical, one of the things we noticed when we saw this order-taker, order-giver pattern was that um, yeah, it was very dysfunctional. It was just, you know, the branch staff were enrolling victim, the, the, the head office staff were very removed from and remote from the customers. So we decided sure. to redesign the operating model of the organisation. And we reframed the role of head office from order giver to support provider. So Mm. their role was no longer to make all the decisions and implement the rules. Their role was to provide essential support to the branches, whose role was reframed from order taker to um, support provider to the customer. So their role was to be delivering great service to the customer. And this reframe and this new operating model started to create very fast change. And actually, within seven years, the bank had gone from the worst performing bank in the country in terms of customer satisfaction to the number one bank in the country in terms of customer satisfaction and the number one bank on the Dow Jones Sustainability Index. Uh, It had doubled its profits over that time period and uh, tripled its share price. And employee engagement has also increased significantly. So this remarkable turnaround over a seven-year period really was um, driven by the remarkable power of role reframing.
0: Sure. And obviously, you, you mentioned that, that it was a, over a seven-year period. So this wasn't something that just happened overnight. And I'm sure that it wasn't easy in the beginning. And I'm curious to hear just... What, what were the team members' feelings in the beginning when you started to present them with this role reframing and what that would look like? What were some of the challenges that you came across with, with team members?
1: Yeah, well, there were you know, 32,000 people across the bank, so it was a very big – it was quite a big organization, and getting people on board was was absolutely critical. But one of the things I talk about in my book is – the need for leader-led changes leader-led mm. at all levels. So it's not just the top leaders, although they have a significant influence. So one of the things we did right from the start was have this principle of leader-led change. So the, we, we, we designed a workshop, a three-day workshop, where we were giving people this reframe mm. and giving people the, the tools to step into their change leader role. So we started that program with the top 600 executives. And then we progressively rolled it out to all 32,000 people across the organisation. So everybody had this reframe, they had the tools to embark upon the change, and then we followed it up with a whole series of of programs. So one of the initiatives, for example, Patrick, was a day in the life Mm. where everybody from head office every six months had to spend a day at the branches. So they began to see what it was like to step into the shoes of the branch staff. Who didn't have the right equipment? Who had shoddy offices? Who weren't able to answer simple customer queries? So that started to also accelerate the
0: change. Mm, I love that. I, I love the idea of of making that happen. With it, it, it it's uh, it's an interesting concept, and and definitely something that I think, like you said, can bring about some very fast change uh, for uh, for leaders and and obviously just in their behaviors that they're displaying, you know, when they're experiencing some of that themselves. So that's great. And when it comes to leaders, what, what would you say were some of the mistakes that were made in that example, or even in any example, you know, that, that you have in your book or that you've experienced, where would you say some of the mistakes happen with with leaders when uh, when they're experiencing culture change or going through culture change? Yeah,
1: one of the conversations I had with the head of lean at the bank, said was, um he said to me at the time, we couldn't have done the lean stuff if you hadn't done the culture stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we implement technical solutions. We think, "Right, well, we will implement a process-based solution. But underneath that, you've still got these dysfunctional patterns. So I was working, for example, at an infrastructure company where they were losing money on about 60% of their contracts. They were in the red, and they were in a serious financial situation. And uh, they were actually being run by a pattern of being liked is more important than delivering performance uh, Mm -hmm. that they weren't even seeing. So within the company, people weren't giving feedback to underperformers. They were moving the poor performers around. There just weren't any consequences in place for underperformance. And the same thing was happening with the clients, they were taking up the role of nice guys and gals, mm-hmm. not charging fully for all of their time, not managing their margins, saying yes to small favours and all of this was adding up. So seeing this pattern of the nice guy a gal was critical to turning that organisation around. So despite all the financial skills training that they had put in place, they weren't solving that underlying pattern that was actually running them. So, my advice to leaders is to dig a bit deep, deeper, really start to discover what is the role of the parts so and not just their defined role, what is the, the role that they're taking up in the system. So, um, in, in the infrastructure company, managers were taking up the role of nice guy or gals, and uh, the employees were taking up the role of underperformers, underachievers, who just weren't being stretched, weren't being. Uh, consequence managed. And um, so, you know, within two years, that organization turned itself around by seeing the patterns uh, and managing those rather than being managed by them.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I can see where that would be discouraging for sure for, for people. Uh, but to have that, to, to have the understanding of the patterns and, and know you know that there are steps that you can take in order to start to change that or get out of that is de- definitely is gives people that fresh perspective and, and opportunity to see things a little bit differently and and I, I guess I would ask that question too. Are there certain steps that people can take, that leaders can take, that organizations can take to change the culture that that they're working in today? That's always a tough question, right? Because you know some people say that there's no there's no step by step approach other people say there is uh what what would you say you know to that question around what steps need to be taken in order to create a culture change
1: yeah there are definitely steps that can be taken Mm -hmm. they're not linear steps uh, so people might argue about that but there are definitely ways that you can as a leader start to create a better culture. And when I say culture as well, Patrick, often people think, oh, culture, that's just the relationship stuff. That's mm. just the soft, fuzzy stuff. But actually, culture is how your workplace operates. And it uh, in, impacts every aspect of your workplace, from how you design your products to how you manufacture to how you sell and service your your goods or your services. So it's it actually is impactful on your top and your bottom line, and it's not insignificant. So, uh, you know, in the book, I give a four-step process for creating a culture that delivers, grows, and adapts. And the first critical step that I talk about is how do you see those patterns Mm -hmm. that we're often blind to? So it's a bit like being in a family. You know, you can look at other families and sort of say, gosh, that's pretty dysfunctional. But within the family, it makes perfect sense. They think it's quite normal, whatever it is that they're doing. And the same in workplaces. Often things that have become the norm are actually not working for you anymore. And and particularly in a complex, fast-moving environment, the things that once worked for you may no longer be serving you in the culture. So the first thing I talk about is uh, seeing the patterns, reframing, and then how do you keep going and keep the momentum on the, on the change journey. But the other thing with culture is it's never one size fits all. So right. it's never a cookie cutter, oh, well, they've got that culture, so I'll build the same culture. We've got to get into building cultures that are going to help us to achieve our strategic imperatives. So that might be that you need to create a growth culture innovative culture, customer-oriented culture, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it really depends on what your strategy is and then how you create a culture that, that uh, enables that.
0: Very nice. So as far as the steps go, uh, you, you mentioned seeing the patterns, right? So that would be the first step. Second yes. step, then, reframing.
1: Uh, yeah, and there's a whole lot of techniques for how you reframe. You sure. break the pattern in multiple ways. The third one is break the pattern and the fourth one is consolidate your gains. Perfect.
0: Okay. Uh, I just want to make sure we had clarity for the listeners that that they they know mm-hmm. exactly what those four steps are because they're so important uh, to understand and apply them. You know, in in the exact way that you have laid out in the book. And so I think that's important, a, a key part of uh, a key takeaway for listeners. Okay. But for you, what would you say would would be you know one thing as we start to kind of wrap up the conversation today? What would be you know, a, a parting thought or, or, you know, something that is important for our listeners to know as they as they step away from this podcast and, and want to go and apply something today. What, what would be something maybe that you would say, you know, this is something that you need to walk away with?
1: I think uh, thinking about your role and stepping into your change leader role. Uh, deliberately, and also framing your team's role as change leaders, not just as managers or operations managers. So that reframe, I think, is, is really essential, uh, not just seeing your role as delivery and ops, but seeing your role as delivery and change. And I think just that reframe and thinking about how you take up that role and how you equip yourself and your team to take up that role uh, can make a difference
0: absolutely i love that and definitely something that can def- can be applied uh, very easily you know by anyone that's that's listening today just understanding the importance of having the right culture in place and, and, you know, making the right decisions, taking the right steps towards moving towards that, uh, that culture change. Siobhan, if, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, uh, where, where would they go? Uh, where, how would they be able to reach out to you? Also, I'm interested if, if someone wanted to purchase the book and I'll place these links into the uh, show notes to make sure that people can click on those, you know, right on our, our webpage. But where would they go to get in contact with you? Where would they go to get the book?
1: Uh, You can connect with me or follow me on LinkedIn, um, Siobhan McHale, and the book, you can get it on Amazon or other online outlets.
0: Perfect. And just searching the the title, The Insider's Guide to Culture Change, uh, should come right up. Uh, Otherwise, uh, again, just look for the link in the show notes. We'll put the link uh, directly to the book there if you're interested to grab that. Uh, Siobhan, it's been great to have you on. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Lean Solutions Podcast. Uh, appreciate uh, your book. Appreciate the work that you're doing uh, to continue to just help people to change their cultures and and just being, being a part of the, the lean community and, and what we're doing to help support uh, change through the lean community.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Patrick.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Lean Solutions Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. If you feel so inclined, please give us a review. Thank you so much.